0: Nightlife with Philip Clark
1: on ABC Radio.
2: All right, let's get the keys out.
1: Motor Talk with Toby Hagen.
2: Young Toby, how are you?
3: Good, Phil. Hello. Not
2: too bad. If you've been all over the world since since last week we met,
3: um, a little bit. <laughs> ducked over to Scotland, and I've been halfway over Australia a few times, so, yeah. Wow. Good fun. It's been a busy busy start to the year. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. Uh,
2: right. All right, January sales figures. Tesla, despite the fact that Elon Musk is on the nose in finance circles and elsewhere, I'll tell you what, though, people have taken to the product here in Australia, haven't they?
3: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the Tesla Model 3 was the third best-selling car in the country. It was what? only outsold by the Ford Ranger. And the Toyota Hilux, so both it's the
2: Ford Ranger Ute, Toyota Hilux Ute, then a Tesla.
3: Yeah, so theoretically, it's the best-selling car, passenger car in the country. So, well, yeah, uh, no, well, actually, it uh, is. You know, and you know. to put it in perspective, it's, Tesla sold eight times more Model Threes than Toyota sold Camrys. So Camry used to dominate that market. Um, the the market it plays, or the segment it plays in, the medium cars above sixty thousand dollars. It actually accounted for three quarters of the sales in that market. So if you take the other fifteen odd cars in that market, it outsold them by um, three three to one, basically. So it was something's uh, going on, isn't it? Oh, a huge result! So it's yeah. um, and funnily enough, it's actually um, spurring a bit of a resurgence in that medium car market. We've seen sales of medium cars drop enormously over the last ten or fifteen years, and we've lost a number of nameplates. You know, Ford mm. Mondeo, Subaru Liberty. Holden Commodore sort of more more towards the large car but a lot of those traditional sedans have all disappeared and all of a sudden this one's come in and it's um and it is a four-door sedan with a boot and it's um it's selling in big numbers so yeah a very surprising result the brand overall was the ninth best-selling brand which considering they're only selling two models is um is a pretty big one and if you also look at the Tesla Model Y which is the only other car they sell and that's in the. Uh, they only the, got two. They only got two cars. They only got two. Yeah, and the Model Y isn't selling anything like in the same numbers that the Model Three is. So they only sold three hundred and eighty something in. Um, how many?
2: Y- how many threes did they sell?
3: Just under three thousand. So it okay, was three, um, in the month. Yeah. yeah, in the month in in January. So. But it the, is,
2: it's interesting because it I mean, cause the thing is, it's an expensive car.
3: Yeah, well, it starts know? basically seventy 000, thousand dollars, sixty nine thousand dollars. That's all right. That's uh, 70000
2: bucks to get into one. Yeah, like, that's
3: right. It's but not- the the model Y the the SUV so in its segment it was actually the top selling car as well so it was um so it outsold the Mercedes Benz GLC the BMW X3 the Audi Q5 Volvo XC60 all these very respectable mid-sized uh, SUVs and it outsold a lot of them in January so um so yeah look pretty big result and um
2: it beat Volkswagen for example
3: yeah absolutely but i mean so some brands Volkswagen Nissan and a few others, are really having a tough time of it supply-wise. But the way I look at it, everyone's playing in the same market. Yeah. They're all dealing with the same supplier concerns. They're all dealing with the same shipping issues. Everyone's got the same challenges. So I guess it's how well each brand's managing those challenges as to um, the sales figures. But that's what some some people in the industry say, that the last year or even two years... You're not really looking at a you know what is genuine genuine demand here. You're looking at what's what is supply. So who could get the cars into the country and off the boats, and that's really what the sales figures are showing. But mm. um, but at the same time, as I said, everyone's playing in the same market. They're all uh, they've all got the same challenges.
2: Yeah. Now, speaking of the topic, whenever we talk about EVs, people really want to know about is when is the price coming down and when are we going to actually get an affordable one. There's a, there's a new one on the market in Australia. It's a Chinese thing. It's called the Aura, O-R-A. Mm. It's got a better name in China, actually, but uh, we're not going to get that name out here. Uh, and it's about forty six thousand dollars, forty seven thousand dollars, something. Yeah, that's right. You, you've
3: had a drive. I've had a very brief drive. Tell yeah, me, I mean, tell us about it. So it's a a um, relatively small hatchback, mm-hmm. uh, five door, five door hatchback, five seats. It's part of GWM, so Great Wall Motors. So mm-hmm. they've sort of got a number of sub brands in their in their portfolio. Havel, for example, is their SUV brand. They've got. Um, uh, Tank, a relatively new brand for four wheel drives, and Aura for their electric cars. And this is the first one on the market. So, front wheel drive, single motor, um, as I said, five door hatchback, round about the $46,000, $47,000 mark. The drive I had was very brief, but it was enough to learn that even though it's a, a relatively small car, you look at it from the outside and it looks fairly compact, it's still pretty spacious inside. So, you can still fit adults in the back. The boot in it's quite small. Um, but the the overall uh, packaging and the mm. presentation, it's got a little bit of a sort of mini feel to it, sort of toggle switches and a few materials and so on that are a little bit retro in their presentation. But it's, uh, you know, it drives okay. It's nothing special in the driving front. It's um, uh, It has decent performance. I wouldn't say it's exceptional performance. It makes a few noises here and there intentionally, so um, mm. these sort of... Bongs and and beeps and so on when you change a drive mode and things like that that could get a little bit testing. I didn't have enough time to muck around and see if you could turn it off. But yeah, I mean it's a it's a an honest um, hmm. an honest electric hatchback. It's not uh, it's not going to set the world on fire. I don't think, but it's at the same time it adds a bit more spice to that We're entry level part will, of the market.
2: Will we see more of them this year? Do you think
3: electric cars generally cheaper ones? Yeah, um, I'm not. Well, there's one coming called the byd dolphin we don't know the chinese one yeah yeah, we don't know if it's going to be called the dolphin in australia but that one will i think will undercut all of these so i think it'll be probably low forty thousand dollar mark something like that Mm -hmm. um so there's not a whole lot other than that that's probably the only one that we're likely to see this year so it's uh you know the challenge they've all got challenges with the the battery packs i mean they're um the the batteries are expensive and Mm. you need a few in there to to make the cars work so it ends up making them a big expensive. I mean, you know, I've touched on it previously. There are you will use less, or you will spend less money keeping them going in terms of energy costs and servicing. But you've got that initial outlay that some people uh, yep. can't stretch to.
2: Okay, one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Toby's here. We're uh, just getting away from EVs for a second. Ford's going back to Formula 1.
3: It is. Yeah, I mean, this has that, been sort of right? ru- right? rumoured for a while. They, went, they left Formula 1 in 2004. They've had, they've had plenty of success. They're the third most successful engine manufacturer in Formula 1. And coming back, yeah, they've teamed up with Red Bull Racing, so um, Max Verstappen and co., and their sponsorship, I think, will actually be on the cars this year. But the engines, they're working on developing the new powertrains for 2026. So um, where they have a significant change, they're getting hmm. pretty much triple the uh, the electric power. So they're all hybrids have been for some time. They're getting pretty much triple the electric power from 2026, and they're going to run them on um, on um, eco fuels. So biofuels basically mm. or synthetic okay. fuels so
2: yeah Now you said you've been in Scotland because you've been driving the Ineos Grenadier yeah,
3: Ineos. over the Highlands I have yeah So This, this, right... is,
2: this is the car this is a four wheel drive that's been that's well it's brand new from the ground up you Is the idea of two blokes in a pub
3: Yeah a few blokes in a pub and yeah. to finish off my trip on the last day I had a uh, and, uh, an evening in um, Heathrow Airport, which, as you know, isn't too exciting, and I thought no. I don't want to sit here, so I, I caught a train into town and went to the pub to, <laughs> to see where it was all done. So, <laughs> so, um, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, look, the the car, as as you touched on, it's a, an amazing backstory in terms of people yeah. deciding a utilitarian four wheel drive. Should they, There should be they more around. They basically
2: wanted it to look like the, 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 the Land Rover Defender. Didn't Defender they? yeah, yeah. So, yeah absolutely. so it looks a bit like the Land Rover oh, Defender. absolutely.
3: There's, yeah. the, there's absolute similarities. They actually mm. tried to buy the old design off Land Rover, yeah. but Land Rover then said, no, not interested. Um, yeah. So they went and created their own. They bought engines off BMW, so you can get a diesel or a, or a petrol six-cylinder turbo engine and, um, and created the body. And, they, and it's a really hardcore off-roader. Basically, everything they've done with that car... Is designed for off-road um, capability, performance, ruggedness, and so on. So
2: incredibly useful in an Australian city. <laughs> yes. Well, this
3: is where it gets a little bit um, a little bit tough. It's not great on road. <laughs> it's certainly. It's got. It's like the, a small tractor. You mean? It's got the worst steering I've felt in any car for years. So it's <laughs> it's terrible. It's um it's got oh, basically truck like steering. It's an old school steering design. <laughs> And it's pretty ordinary. So you're very busy at the wheel. You're trying to, you know, you're constantly, even in a straight line, you find yourself sort of seesawing at the wheel, trying to keep it going. So it's, um, but look, there's other aspects. The, the minute you get it off-road, you see why they've done all that. Mm. And yes, people will criticise it and say, hang on a minute, it's you know, it's, it's ordinary on-road. And if anyone's expecting a BMW X5 or anything like that, forget it. It's nowhere near them in terms of on-road performance. But it trounces those sorts of SUVs for off-road performance. Uh, And if you look at some of the very successful cars in Australia at the moment, um, you know, Land Cruisers, Prados, Nissan Patrols, uh, Jeep Wranglers, Suzuki Jimny, Toyota Land Cruiser, 70 Series, all these sort of utilitarian, hardcore off-roaders, none of them are great to drive on-road. Some of them are very ordinary to drive on-road, but almost all of them have an enormous queue of people waiting to buy them. So there, there is a real affection for these cars at the moment. And I think that we're really I think it'll work in Australia. I think it'll think it'll go all right. It's as I said, it's 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 flawed in many ways, but it's excellent in other ways. So okay. it's um
2: so yeah. Let's take some calls. Uh, Max from Newcastle. Good Max. Uh i I'm just
4: wondering um what Katie's uh, thoughts are about this high court case at the moment where the Victoria wanna charge EVs. Was it two point eight cents per kilo? I think it was By two and a, two different. and a half
3: cents. Yeah, Oh, two point two cents for hybrids. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, look, it's a really interesting. What this was is a kind of road tax. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah road yeah, user charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the idea of the tax came about. If you look at nowadays, every liter of fuel we put in our car, it's forty three or forty four cents goes to the government in fuel excise and that's the federal government that it goes Mm. to and obviously people are the the states are looking out forward and saying well you know at some point there's going to be a lot of people not paying any fuel excise once Mm. they're in electric cars so the the idea is that we have to tax electric cars a different way. And a road user charge, which I think was first flagged by the Henry Tax Review whenever it was 10 or 15 years ago, a road user charge is, is where people are sort of heading the path, they're heading down. So the states have sort of run with this and said great, we're going to do this. And I think New South Wales, South Australia recently in the last week or so announced or said they wouldn't be doing it, at least not in the short to medium term. New South Wales, I believe, is still looking at it 2026, 20, somewhere around there. And a few of the other states and territories have looked at it. Victoria is, is actually charging it now. They're doing it in a very clunky way in terms of, uh, you know, people have to take a, a picture of their uh, their ODO and send it into them and then they do the calculation and tell you how much you owe. But yeah. the court case is an interesting one because it's effectively the federal government saying, stay away from our tax. So stay away from the, the revenue that we're earning from fuel excise. Right. And we've had inaction so far from the federal government, both the current and the previous one, in terms of, I guess, coming up with a forward, forward vision or plan to. Um, to to replace fuel excise in future. Um, you'd hope that that's all bubbling away in the background and something will happen, but we haven't heard anything at the moment in terms of what that might look like. So as I said, the states seem to be saying, yeah. we'll have it instead. So yeah. it's an interesting court case to see which, um, which way to go. Uh, I'm, I'm in favour of making it a federal. I think we should look at it from a federal perspective and say, let's tax these cars properly. I don't think what any of the states have announced... Um, that they're looking at, or as I said in Victoria, doing, and I don't think any of them um, have nailed it yet because they've all come out with a flat fee in terms of two and a half, roughly two and a half cents per kilometer travelled. Yeah. Which, if you look at fuel excise at the moment, it taxes, it effectively taxes bigger, heavier, thirstier vehicles. Well, it does tax them more because they use more fuel. Yeah. Whereas uh, just coming out with a flat thing and saying, you know, you, you need to all pay exactly the same is crazy because. At the end of the day, bigger, heavier vehicles put more wear and tear on the road, so they should be paying more to use the roads. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I think more more work needs to go into it. Exactly what it looks like, I'm not sure, but um, but yeah, hopefully it is a yeah. federal solution rather than individual yeah. ones all around the states.
4: Also, just a quick quick uh, thing on the uh, the Toyota BZR. Is it coming out at the end of the year or late?
3: Uh, the B, yeah, BZ4X.
4: BZ4X. BZ4X
3: I see Subaru have been having problems, and I think they're... Yeah, their wheels they're, fall they're, off. Their wheels falling off, yes. <laughs> Nothing major. They'll sort that out. So, yeah, the Subaru Solterra is exactly the same car as the other than the badge and, you know, a couple of spec differences, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. But they're all the same thing underneath. The Toyota BZ4X, the Subaru Solterra, they've both had issues with wheels falling off overseas. (laughs) Wheels falling off. (laughs) Um, So presumably they'll sort that out. The Subaru is coming out around about July, so they've confirmed it will be here in around about July. Toyota is going to be later with the BZ4X, so we're looking at... um, Hmm. I think probably more like fourth quarter somewhere around there but it, it's coming out a bit later we're going actually going to get an updated version so a facelifted version compared with um, compared with the the one that you see now in in pictures online and so on okay. but...
2: all right max thank you um, Victor in Heathcote good day victor uh good evening gents thanks for the
4: call pleasure what's up uh, look, you yeah, uh, You've probably answered this question before, but look, I'm due to replace my four-wheel drive. I've currently got a 2015 BT50 mm-hmm. uh, auto, which I've been very happy with. Had no problems, but it's done 250,000 k's. Yep. Uh, I tow a tandem trailer at times with quad bikes for the farm, occasionally a 17-foot off-road caravan, and sometimes a four-metre boat,
2: mm. uh, but quite gentle in its use. Uh, and I'm just wondering what the um, current, uh, the new BT-50 or Isuzu stands up or whether I need to move up to a Ranger to get the sort of similar vehicle that I've got.
3: The So in terms of, I guess, the ute market and um, and the pointy end of the ute market, you're looking in the right area. Um, the Ranger really does have an advantage over pretty much everything at the moment. It's got better tech in it. It's got better refinement, better performance. Um, it's a it's a class act. They've um, they've certainly nailed it in terms, and that's why it's selling in big numbers. So they've they've done a, a really good job with it. The one thing that'll temper that potentially temper that a little bit is the Volkswagen Amarok is coming out in around about um, April May. So in the next couple of months, we should be seeing that. And that's the same mechanical package underneath. So it's the same engines, it's the same basic chassis. Um, they give it different design inside and out and um, and tweak things like the steering and seats and things like that. But it's the same basic car. So, so keep that in mind too. If you can wait another two or three months, that Amarok is going to give you the Ranger um, experience, a lot of the Ranger experience um, in terms of drivetrain and so on without the – or, you know, with a different badge and, and some different spec and so on. Um, BT50 and Isuzu – both, so there. I guess the next rung down. So they're still very solid, um, the, as you probably know. They're again pretty much the same thing underneath, but um, as each other, different to the Ranger and the Amarok. But they're both uh, very solid vehicles. I think they they haven't got the tech side uh, done as well as the as the Ranger, um, and particularly with things like infotainment, I find it not as easy to use the infotainment. The refinement in the engine's not as good. The performance in the engine isn't as good. But it is still an extremely good Ute, and where you where you make up um, points is obviously the price. So the Ranger does have a price premium on it, and if you're on a bit more of a budget, then the BT50 and the and the Isuzu are certainly a, a decent way to go. So I guess what I'm saying with that is, if you have got the money, um, I'd go for the Ranger. If the budget is really important to you, then neither of those other two are are solid.
4: All right. So it's also a wait and see with the VW Amarok.
3: Yeah, I've driven it. I've driven it um, only overseas, and um, yeah, I mean the engines are identical to the Ford. Uh, the the dynamic The d- dynamic experience is slightly different with things like steering, suspension setup, and so on. It is, um, it is a bit different. The seats are quite different to the Ford. Like you notice that straight away. And as I said, some of the presentation is different, but um, uh, but the engines and so on are identical between the the Ford and the Volkswagen. So. Um, so yeah, and we we now do have pricing on the Volkswagen, and it's more expensive again. It does have it does generally have more features, but um, you're going to pay more for it. But um, but yeah.
2: Thanks, Victor. Well, all right, thank you. Thanks for your help. No worries. Thanks, for something to think about. One three hundred eight hundred triple two. Peter in Brisbane. G'day, Peter.
5: Ah, gentlemen, I have a conundrum for you. Uh uh-huh. Um, I'm at walking my cats at the moment. It's an interesting thing. Cats like going for a walk, but you can only do it at night.
2: You, you say there. you're walking the cats. No, cats <laughs> do not need a walk, Peter. What are you talking about? Oh,
5: they, love, they love having a bit of a stroll around. They've got two brothers. Not with
2: they? you, though. They don't. They like to go off on their own.
5: No, no, no. no. They follow me all along. Peter, <laughs> Peter just get a
2: dog, right? If you want to walk. Just get a dog.
5: <laughs> yeah, I'm a cat person. That uh, anyway, wasn't the conundrum, though, This it? is a car show. Right, so no, no, this is, okay, this is um, a car show yeah sorry. I just read some research from uh Volvo um and they were crunching the um the carbon numbers on their e v s that they make yeah um and looking at the cost of mining nickel and zinc and lithium and 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 producing the cars um they're not going to be carbon neutral until they've done about hundred and thirty thousand ks mm-hmm. now in 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 um norway they're using Green energy because they have all the hydro schemes and stuff of like that. Mm-hmm. In Brisbane here, um, most people will be charging the EVs at night mm. because they're going to be using them during the day. Now, so solar power won't be charging them. What's your question um, here, Peter? Well, how long is it before an EV um, is no longer serviceable anymore? So if you can't, how long get... does
2: the battery last? You mean? Well, that's right. If
5: they're 130,000, 150,000, do the batteries? is it a time thing or a usage a bit of both so it's
3: Hmm. so batteries um pretty much all batteries or most EV batteries have an eight-year warranty on them uh usually guarantee at least 160,000 kilometers uh but I guess if you look at warranties other warranties on cars um you know an engine usually has a say a five-year warranty on it but we expect 10 15 20 years out of an engine and uh It's sort of the early, Tesla's probably the best example. They've now got cars, not so much in Australia, but overseas that are up around that 10-year-plus mark.
2: And what's happened to them?
3: Well, they're noticing that they're not degrading as much as they thought. So they absolutely degrade. Batteries degrade. We see it on our phones, our our Mm. computers and so on all the time. Batteries degrade over time. EVs do a better job of managing the power in each of the battery cells, and so on, um, cooling, heating to maintain an optimum temperature, to try and extend that battery life, which is why they come with a relatively long warranty. So, I guess we don't we don't abs- we can't absolutely say other than the early data is suggesting that uh, that the battery degradation is not as pronounced as some expected it may be, and um, and that maybe you know you'll still have at least 80 if not 90% of the original battery capacity after that sort of eight years. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you, you know, so you've lost a bit of capacity. The so don't, we don't itself, actually
2: know at the moment because we don't really know, do we, how long they're going to last.
3: We don't have enough, no. So it's okay. so as I said, America's probably the best example, America Norway and places like that but, where they've got older ones.
2: But they look as though they will last 10 years.
3: Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Now, I mean, that, that's what the early... Data yeah. is suggesting, and some of the engineers I've spoken to from BMW and a few others say that all the older cars that they've tested and looked at, um, the ones that have done higher mm. kilometres and they've had around longer, the, the development cars and so on, they're all suggesting that the battery degrad- degradation is not as pronounced as they thought it might be. Mm. The worst thing you can do with a with a battery is, um, with an EV battery, is super fast charging. So um, so if you get the, the ultra-fast charging, and if that is all you do with it, if you charge it at the maximum so cook, charge cook, rate the cook whole the time. Battery, cook
2: the battery regularly.
3: Yeah, but it's they cool and heat to try and manage that. But yes, it still stresses the battery out. So they basically say, you know, do that on the long trips. If you do that all the time, then it will degrade it quicker. But even then, they say that they won't have a problem hitting the, the sort of 70%, 80% target of battery degradation after that eight years. So, So worst case scenario, treat the battery as poorly as you can. You'll still have... Minimum 70 80% by, oh. um, after eight years. So
5: there you go. So, yeah. But, but don't and, they also have this thing like built for Australian conditions? Can imagine if it's a 45 degree day and you're, you're driving down to Sydney and you put it on a fast charge. Yeah. So the batteries are going to be really hot, and then you
4: go. Yeah, it's nearly flat. And so
3: the batteries are cool. So you see on some some EVs they've got battery conditioning. So they either heat or cool. Often right. it's actually heating. They like to get them up to sort of thirty odd degrees, thirty thirty five degrees. Uh, so it's actually sub-zero temperatures that are worse for a uh, a battery than the higher temperatures either of them aren't great but the real you know negative 20 negative 30 degrees is where batteries start to struggle a bit um but again they've got the heating and cooling to sort that they've got the battery preconditioning to try and sort that out so um so yeah i mean it's uh, you know it's potentially an issue but it doesn't appear to be as big an issue as mm. maybe people were anticipating so so yeah
2: all right, Peter. Um, I've got into trouble. Sorry, for, I've got into trouble for for uh, for getting, getting, into into about, getting into about getting into about your cat, Peter. So just to say, I <laughs> that, do. No, no, I do like cats. <laughs> <laughs> Mary from Mudgee, Peter says, "I never trust a man who doesn't like cats." Of course, you can walk a cat. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Come on, what
5: are you talking about?
2: <laughs> Enjoy your evening, Peter. Yeah,
5: you do. Thank
2: you. Again. Bye. I've taken severe shelling over the <laughs> cat issue. I knew, why did I know I would? Uh, Craig, in, oh no, just a couple of texts before we do that. My 88-year-old mother wants to buy a Kia Sports Plus. It says Kia Selfish, is that not called a Selfish? Kia Seltos. Seltos, Seltos yeah. She's obsessed with the 1.6 turbo, won't consider yep. the 2-litre. Love to hear Toby's thoughts. <laughs>
3: Yeah, look um so the 1.6 turbo is definitely a nicer engine in that Seltos. Right. But it comes with um well it did come with a twin clutch automatic transmission. I'm trying to think if they changed it in the Seltos or, or something else, but the the twin clutch transmission wasn't 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 great in stop-start driving. So sometimes you could have it sort of hesitate and so on. But yeah, look, the Seltos is a very convincing compact SUV, uh the, as I said, the 1.6 turbo's definitely a nicer engine than the two-letter and I think it also gets hooked up to an all-wheel drive system so you got a bit more traction particularly on uh, slippery surfaces and um yeah I'd be uh I'd mm. say go for it okay. um, d- don't ignore other ones so Toyota Corolla Cross for example there's a new Hyundai or an updated Hyundai Kona coming around about mid-year I think it is and that'll share a lot of those components um the engine components and so on with the with the Kia so um that keep that Hyundai Kona in mind as well
2: mm. Okay, Uh Craig wants to update his Prado. Good day, Craig.
1: Oh, good day, uh, Toby and Phil. Yeah, um, my Prado has four hundred thousand k's on it, and I'm well uh, oh, halfway there. Now, in, now, yeah. in, now yeah, no, nothing,
2: now. nothing, Craig just worn in.
1: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, now I'm in a business now, and I travel all around New South Wales. Hmm. Um, probably do thirty or forty thousand k's a year, possibly. Um, so I'm looking. Well, I don't see anything but a Prado doing doing the job. I mean, there's only me in the car. It's a bit of a shame, but um that all wheel drive and that, that um I don't know that um solid solid car if there's anything else you can suggest I'd consider it. But, Are you going um... off road? Well, a bit, yeah. I do the odd 30 or 40 k's of dirt roads um, yeah. at times. Yeah, so I'm going to farms and, and you know, rural areas and stuff. Yeah, because so. yeah, I was going to say, if you're, if you're
3: not doing serious off-road, which is what a Prado's designed to do, then there's obviously it opens yeah. up a whole bunch of other things and I'd, I'd be stuck, sticking things like Hyundai Palisade, um, Kia Sorento and that sort of stuff on the list, and they all have, or yeah, well, most of them have a full-size spare tire as well, so it would give you that backup if you do get a puncture. But if you're convinced that you need a a decent four-wheel drive, well, then yeah,
1: I think it's more about the comfort. I just don't know that those smaller cars have that ride, that that tune, that suspension sort of characteristic. Of so the they're rider. not smaller.
3: They're all so a Hyundai Palisade would be same sort of size. It's definitely up up there in terms of that size. Um, okay. You're going to have so the difference in suspension. So a Prado is designed to have big wheel articulation to be able to walk over rocks and obviously have big ground clearance and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also got taller, higher profile tires that tend to, um, you know, over uh, potholes that sort of thing. It'll do a do a decent job over them because the tire actually yeah, yeah, absorbs yeah. a fair bit of the the bump. Um
1: plenty of, plenty of that at the moment as you know. Yeah, that's right. But but <laughs> yeah.
3: those other cars, so the Kia Sorento, the Hyundai Palisade, that sort of thing, they yeah, they're yeah, effectively yeah. a passenger car underneath. So you get independent suspension whereas the yeah, the Prado's yeah, got yeah. a live rear axle and so it's going to sit better on the road. It's going to um, you're still going to have pretty high levels of comfort in there and in some instances the comfort will certainly be above a Prado. Other instances yeah, on rough roads the Prado would take over. Um yeah, yeah. But so yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is, pop into well, a, a dealer is, yeah. and have a look at them and just, just see what you think because they are yeah. they'll do a very nice job on that sort of trip.
1: Well, I'm only looking second hand and probably in the forty thousand budget, to be, so I don't know if that rules them out if they um,
3: It'll, it'll, rates it'll rates certainly rule the Palisade know. out because they haven't been out long enough. But no, some of the other yeah. ones.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah okay. If, if, I, if I do if I do stick with the Prado idea, uh, that sort of budget gives me the the end of the four liter. The three liter D4D in the start of the two point eight. Yep. Um, which is then DPF and timing chains. I mean, do you think the, the you know the three liter would be good to stick with for that longevity, or there's not much to worry about there?
3: I wouldn't have a major issue with it. Toyota obviously had some pretty big issues with diesel particulate filters, and they had to um, address those. And they're now on some of the older cars, they've put in diesel particulate filter buttons to burn them off manually if you want. So I wouldn't have an issue with that, with going for the 2.8. The 2.8's a nicer engine. Um, I don't think you'd be able to stretch to the updated 2.8, which got, I think it was 150 kilowatts over 130 kilowatts, and that was a big step up in terms of performance. But I'd definitely be aiming for that 2.8 if you can, because it's a generally a nicer engine. Um, yeah, I mean, but in terms of alternatives, yeah, I mean, the Prado's one, Ford or another one. The Everest is a very good car, um, and that is a proper off-roader, and it actually drives a bit better on-road than the Prado, so don't rule that out as well. It's slightly smaller than the Prado, but it's still a um, a worthy competitor. A
2: few options for you there, Craig. Uh, where are we, Seamus? Sorry, Seamus, you've been waiting on there. Hello. Hello. Yes, hi, Seamus.
4: Yeah, I'd just like to know some information about the new MGs. So I have a thirty-three-year-old Camry in A1 condition. It's got a hundred and ten. <laughs> Thousand on the clock and it's a beautiful car, but the problem is it's getting too small Yep. because I've got uh, mobility problems and yep. I'm a big guy, you know. I need like uh, an SUV and I was thinking uh, the, the MGs look to be reasonably priced, you know.
3: Yeah, so which one are you looking at, a ZS or an HS?
1: I don't know what they are.
3: Either. So the ZS is the smaller one. And then the HS is sort of a closer to a mid-size um, SUV. So um, I, the HS is a more convincing vehicle. The ZS is actually available in two sort of variants. You've got the regular ZS and you've got the ZST, which That's has got a different bigger. engine and more safety equipment in it. So that I'd be saying at the very least go the ZST. One's the
1: bigger
3: one. The HS is slightly the bigger. Yeah.
1: You've
4: got a uh, bigger body.
3: Yeah, bigger body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's uh, once you're into that HS market, so yes, it's, it's, they pack a lot of features in there. Um, there are more convincing vehicles in that sort of segment. I touched on a couple earlier the Toyota Corolla Cross, for example, the Kia Seltos. I think both both do a um, a nicer job generally than that HS. Um, and you can also then start stepping into some of the mid sized SUVs. The new Nissan X Trail is pretty convincing. The, um, uh, well, they,
4: they're not in the same price
3: range as the MG. Depends which model you go for. So the MGs available, you know, well, the base models ZS is twenty three thousand, and then they go up to sort of you know forty five fifty. So it depends, I guess, where you're playing in that. But but yes, some of them are n- no, not in the twenty three thousand dollar market. But that's that ZS with pretty basic equipment. Yes, once you get into the other ones. So um, so okay. yeah, keep your eye open to them.
2: All right, Seamus, thank you. Uh, text questions. Uh, Gail says, Toby, we've ordered a red. Mazda CX-5 diesel, is it worth getting paint protection and seat protection for the extra money?
3: Um, I wouldn't do it from the dealer. Because um, the dealers usually put a bit of a uh, bit of a markup on it they like to clip mm. the ticket on the way through so if you 're going to go down that path i 'd look elsewhere i i 'm not a massive fan of the seat protection stuff unless you 've got extremely grubby kids or um, you know you 're often spilling it doesn't last anyway you know soft drinks or whatever on there so i 'd be steering a bit away from that. Um, the paint protection, so the um, there's a lot of people who go the ceramic coats these days, and they they sort of start at seven or eight hundred dollars, and you can, as I said, I think the dealer will be quoting you probably fifteen hundred, maybe more, uh, but. I, uh, I've got some people I know swear by them and say it's certainly easier to clean the car. So, you know, when you get bird poo on it and, um, and road muck and all that sort of stuff, they find it easier to clean, less chance of sticking. But I also think you can get very good results from regular waxing of the vehicle. So if you get it waxed every six or 12 months, I think you'll also find decent results. So, um, So as I said, if you're going to go down the paint protection, the ceramic coat protection, I'd be doing it. After, look for a, um, you know, maybe search on social media or something and find some reputable ones in your area. Um, but don't, um, yeah, as I said, also consider that if you look after the car well, if you garage it, if you do all that sort of stuff, you're going to get similar results as yeah. well. Okay.
2: All right, um, Andy from Batemans Bay. day, Andy. Yeah, g'day. Uh,
5: oh, my dad had um, a Volvo that was um, baked enamel. I don't know if that's the same as ceramic.
3: No, well, they do a better job of marketing the ceramic, I think, these days. (laughs) What's your question here, Andy?
5: Uh, Wheels. Uh, Most cars uh, used to come out with uh, metal wheels these days. Steel,
3: yeah.
5: Is it an option, or is it uh, just generally that they have magnesium or... Alloy. Alloy wheels. Um, The durability is the big thing.
3: Yeah, so certainly alloy wheels have taken over, and, um, you know, these days even a lot of very basic cars come with alloy wheels as standard. Um, You do get some mainly four-wheel drives and very cheap, uh, very bottom end of the ute market, for example. They have steel wheels on a lot of those those vehicles. Um, But the ute segment, uh, sorry, the the four-wheel drive, a lot of the four-wheel drives, the serious four-wheel drives and that Ineos Grenadier that I I was talking about earlier, that has steel wheels as standard. You can still option the, the alloys. But... Look, I've I've also seen down at the old Holden proving ground and so on some of the tests they put their, they put wheels through. So the manufacturers put their wheels through, and they're pretty serious tests. Like you, you'll certainly you'll certainly damage a tyre before you'll end up wrecking the alloy wheel. So in in most instances, I wouldn't I wouldn't be that worried about durability. You know, you've got to hit a massive bump, and you're going to do damage elsewhere before you're going to start bending an alloy rim. One of the reasons four wheel drive. Forward drivers like them too. Is that if you are doing very serious forward driving and you dent one, for example, um, you can sort of bash it out vaguely back into shape and so on. Whereas you're not going to be able to do that with an alloy. So, um, so there's other other considerations there. But, but yeah, I wouldn't be as I said. I I, I have never we we damaged an alloy wheel. I don't know. Fifteen years ago, we we're out in um, outback South Australia, and, and one of the guys hit a big rock and we damaged an alloy wheel then. But that's um, the only Time I've seen serious damage to an alloy over the many hundreds of thousands of cars I've driven.
2: Mm, Okay, thanks, Eddie. Um, Robert from Melbourne. G'day, Robert. Good evening. Hi.
0: Yep. um, I've got a Subaru Outback, um, 2015, and uh, since then, uh, I've had the need for uh, fitting a wheelchair in the back, Um, and I'm looking for an EV potential EV. Replacement that'll you know, have the same uh, sort of uh, rear capacity. The, when I looked a while ago, there was, all of the SUVs and so on were too small to to fit the you know, the wheelchair. I just wonder if there's anything on the market or coming out that'll have a similar or a larger capacity, uh, uh, you know, without getting you know
3: much bigger. So did you look at things like a Kia EV6 or Hyundai Ionic 5 in terms of some of the electric car space inside? Uh, I, think,
0: I think I looked at the, uh, the Hyundai, uh, the Kia. Uh, how, how long
3: have they been out? Oh, the Kia's been out a year roughly, and the Hyundai probably 18 months, something like that. But they're, they're both very... they are both got... A lot of space inside like i'd be um you know maybe not quite as long as an outback that, but that
0: was the problem the the the, the length behind the re- the you know the rear seats to, to yeah it
3: in. I'd, I'd be surprised i mean if you couldn't because they're they're both sizable vehicles and that would be my first step is going to one of those and seeing if you um seeing if you can fit it in something like that. Um, there's bigger ones coming. Volkswagen, for example, is going to have the ID Buzz, which is effectively their um, their electric combi. It's all retro styled and so on, and that they're doing a short wheelbase and a long wheelbase version of that. The long wheelbase we haven't seen yet, but it's obviously going to be longer and have a bit more space inside it. So, um, so that would be one to keep on the radar, but that's sort of 18 months, two years away, something like that, so it's a little bit off into the distance. Um, the Kia EV9, but it's a very large SUV that's on sale late this year in uh, in Australia. But yeah, there's not. I mean, the, you can then step up to some of the you know Mercedes-Benz has got one called the EQV. It's their electric. It's their van, so their commercial van or or um. Seats. I, I, I don't. I
0: don't want a van. I just want to
3: uh, you know like the Outback. Just to yeah. Boat. Well, the best options today would be, as I said, that. Kia EV6 and, and Hyundai Ionic Five would be, or, or you could look at a Tesla Model Y as well. The the three of those uh, are probably your best bet for space. I'm not sure if you'll necessarily, as I said, get the length of an Outback, but it'd be that'd be my starting point to be looking at those. Mm. Okay,
0: all
2: right. Okay. Thanks, Robert. Thanks Good on you. Bye, Craig in Albany's got uh, um, a problem of of sorts. Good day, Craig.
4: Good evening, gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time. Just a very uh, quick question about a comparison between like about a 2004 2007 SL Mercedes convertible versus a BMW 6 series I know the styling's not for everyone but I just can't seem to get any information on the reliability of the 6 series I just wondered if you had any thoughts on comparison between the two or maybe as a, a maybe a 2014 E series Mercedes convertible somewhere around there
3: so you're looking at close to 20-year-old Mercs and BMs, yeah? Yeah, yeah.
4: No, not for everyone. A bit of a midlife
3: crisis, <laughs> Craig, so, are, you all right? are you all right,
2: Craig? So, <laughs> <you> all right? <laughs> Craig, so I, we've got a counselling session we can have later if you're... <laughs>
3: I, guess, I guess where I'm going with that is if reliability's your big concern, I'd be very worried about either of those. So I think, you know, you, you can... Do, You've
4: you, done maybe seventy, eighty thousand.
3: 80,000? Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff to go wrong. <laughs> So so I'd be you know, put it this way, if you're asking me about a twenty year old Camry, I'd say, Yeah, look, check carefully and you should be right, you'll get another ten or twenty years. All I'm saying is that there's the potential for a fair bit to go wrong in them and, and if yep. reliability is your number one, eyes wide open, I think it's I think there's there's potential there for um for some big bills. So You're not
2: gonna be buying a twenty year old car for reliability, are you, Craig?
4: Well sorry, when I I may not have worded it properly. It was more like a weekend car that.
2: Uh, yeah.
4: Someone once said that you know the BMWs once it's have done on over a hundred thousand, they the reliability fall, falls over a bit. Um. The father-in-law had a Mercedes that went for you know two hundred something thousand Ks. Yeah. And I just wondered with the E Series. Yeah. I, so I so I, the
3: Merk so Mercedes made a a bit of a change around about the mid nineties where they went for um. They went from having those bulletproof cars that just um, held together exceptionally well and, and had that reputation for longevity. They sort of seemed to pull back on that a little bit with their their newer vehicles, partly to try and price them a little bit sharper against, their, um, against the European competitors. So a 2014 Mercedes-Benz E-Class, I think, would not fall into that old-school bulletproof Mercedes that people knew for for the second half of the last sort of the last century so um so yeah i mean i i'd be you know as i said a mercedes e-class there there's a lot that can potentially go wrong and you see it in the used car values with with a lot of those um those european cars they they hold up you know they've got a traditional um depreciation scale around about 10 or 12 years and then i find they struggle a bit and that's where I, I find anecdotally looking at the the ads and so on lexus for example starts to do better when the cars get older 10 years old and so on from a resale perspective because they've got a if, if resales your thing um, or if reliability's your thing then i'd be saying get a 10 or 20 year old lexus that's where you can have a better bet than the than the merkle the bm but look i hear what you're saying and i've i've certainly heard i've got a mechanic friend who says yeah 100,000 plus bmw's particularly you know some of them the v8s and so on they can start costing you a fair bit of money but i 'd also say that a mercedes s l can also start costing you money as well so it's, um, mm. so yeah, as long as you 're aware of that, but between the two cars i mean the s l was a terrific classic um, roadster obviously with that um, the great proportions the the b m w from my memory of it, was a little bit slicker to drive, um, maybe not some of that um, old school elegance and so on that the Merck had but um, but yeah, a bit slicker to drive but um, the, um, the,
4: the s l had the hard top versus the soft top for the um,
3: yeah, which. A lot,
4: a lot,
3: yeah, but a lot of manufacturers. So Merck was one of the ones that that um, sort of pioneered that a little bit. Those those folding hard tops, and a lot of manufacturers are working um, walking away from them now. They're actually going back to your traditional soft top because of the compromises you've got to make, make in terms of where to store the boot. When you was the roof, sorry, once you've got those all those big clunky roof panels, they've got to go somewhere in the back of the car, and they end up taking up a lot of boot space. Or changing the design of the car, they have to put a big boot on it to try and accommodate all of that. So, as I said, a lot of them have gone back to the the old school fabric roofs. So, um, so yeah.
2: Okay. All right. Thanks. <laughs> I can see where he's coming from too. Oh, look,
3: it'd be good fun. It'd be a cool, fun thing. But uh, I'm just, yeah, saying that yeah, yeah. Um, that there's you can spend a lot of money on those twenty year old <laughs> European cars. Kim from Newport
2: says, "Gents, this may be off topic, Would a racing model EV better supercar around Bathurst."
3: Um, Depends how racing it is. So it's funny, we've done a few tests like this. So if you imagine if you lined up even, say, a Porsche Taycan EV on the start grid at the Bathurst 1000, I think it would beat all the V8s down to the first corner, and then most of them would be past it by the the time they got to the end of Mountain Straight. So the EVs, the all-wheel drive ones, are exceptional off the line. They are just like rocket ships off the line. Good around corners, but they've got a lot of weight with them, so they they're not quite as good around corners as uh, as you know, say a Porsche 911 or something like that. So, but a racing EV, um, I mean, look, Porsche is actually doing a fair bit of work on that at the moment. They've um, they've got a sort of EV race car that they're working on. They're working on a two door electric sports car. So it's really going to come down to how much power they put in it and how much um, effort they put on, uh, you know, making it go fast. But um, you know, at the yeah. moment, I think on a racetrack, that's where engines, you know, petrol engines and so on at higher speeds do have a bit of an advantage over the EVs, but I think you'll start to see a lot of that change over the next few years. There.
2: Nathan, Nathan, the Barossa says, love the program, we're getting sick of all the EV talk.
3: Oh, <laughs> I come on, it, embrace it, Nathan. You, you're going to you're gonna have to embrace it at some stage, Nathan.
2: I live in the regional Australia and it's just not relevant here, he says, but it's Going to change. Well, it's
3: going to it? going to become relevant, and I guess I would ask a lot of people in regional areas have you know they have multiple vehicles sitting around, and sure, some of them need, uh, some of them need a car, a vehicle to tow to to drive mm. big distances into town, and clearly at the moment, EVs aren't necessarily set up for that. But at the same time, some of the other vehicles they've got there potentially could do the job. And something that I know a lot of rural people are interested in is vehicle to grid or vehicle to home. So being able to use the car to charge. Uh-huh. Um, or to power your home, and a lot of rural properties I've seen have got pretty large solar systems, so they can store some of that power, power the car at home, all that sort of stuff, so, Mm. yeah. Jane from Wollongong. G'day, Jane.
0: Hello. Um, I'm looking at the SUVs, uh, and I call it the luxury, but sort of the uh, Audi 5 Series, but when I've been doing my homework, they haven't been uh, getting very good reviews, so I was wondering if...
2: You mean uh, the, Q, the, done... the Q series or something else? A5 or Q5? Oh, sorry. Yes, it, is,
0: it is the Q5. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, and when I've been looking at the sort of luxury SUVs, I get all cross-eyed and frustrated with, you know. <laughs> um, so I was wondering if your expert um, would recommend something for me or say, have a look at these or have yeah. a read about these.
3: So you're talking about new ones? So
0: yeah, brand
3: new. Yeah, so I, I I wouldn't rule out the Q5. I guess the reality is it's probably been overtaken by some of the fresher models in the market. Um, so Volvo XC60 I think is uh, one of the best in that segment at the moment. It's certainly a um, an excellent mid-sized SUV. Um, the Mercedes-Benz GLC is okay. The BMW X3 again okay. Um, but I wouldn't rule out some of the electrics either. I mean, you've got some of those ones I touched on earlier, Hyundai's and Kia's, which they don't have the luxury badge but I'll guarantee they've got the luxury features once you go and look at them they've got the luxury features and the finishes and so on inside that are up to the uh the level of a lot of those other cars um so yeah as I said I wouldn't rule out a Q5 they they are still they're still decent value but um I'd have a look at a Volvo XC60 which is overall a better car and um you know maybe an electric or two here or there
0: okay thank you very much for your time thanks cool.
2: jane bye bye one three hundred, eight hundred, triple two. Was reckons wax is the best for paintwork. Yeah,
3: well, that's that. I've used that um, a fair bit myself. So yeah, the the waxing is, yeah, as I said, if you if you wax a car regularly, it can often um, it'll have very good results long term. Mm.
2: John from Geelong wants to know why ethanol vehicles are not produced anymore. Fuel's too expensive.
3: Uh, Yeah, it wasn't really adding up from a financial perspective. So Holden years ago, 10, 15 years ago, looked at doing an ethanol plant using waste and so on. I think it was out of Melbourne somewhere. And that all sort of fell apart. Um, There are cars these days that still run on um, an ethanol blend, E85 generally, so up to 85% ethanol. But yeah, the fuel was struggling and... um, it just it wasn't making sense so it sort of fizzled away it's um yeah the, the, there's still cars there's still secondhand cars around but um but there's uh mm. there's not really the demand for it new and these days the focus for every manufacturer is heading towards electric of some form
2: yeah ben says how long before the trip say to sydney at brisbane at christmas from brisbane uh is a nightmare if you've got an ev more evs not enough charges
3: yeah, well, I think last Christmas, they the charging company started to notice that, yes, during the peak times, it was a bit of an issue. Uh, it's also an issue because some of the chargers, um, the, the very high-powered chargers, and most of them seem to be Tritium chargers, the Tritium-branded ones, a lot of them are failing, and a lot of them aren't working, and they're not getting them back online quick enough. So once you start pulling out those, super, you know, you only got to pull out two or three of those very fast chargers, and all of a sudden, you've got backlogs of people having to use slower chargers for longer. So um, so it's going to be an issue, there's no doubt. And if your number one goal is to get from Sydney to Brisbane or Sydney to Melbourne very quickly in the holiday times, then, then probably over the next year or two may not be the best time. A nice car is going to be the thing for you? Might be the better thing, but I tend to think it's going to be a short-term issue. I think they'll sort this out. Uh, the charging companies, governments and so on, I hope will sort it out within the next couple of years.
2: Toyota um, says half the cars it sells in Australia by 2025... That's a year after next. Mm. Will be electric or hybrid?
3: Electrical. So things, things are changing. Things are changing enormously. I mean, that's a, a bold statement from Toyota. They already dominate in in hybrids. I think it was seventy five odd thousand hybrids last year. But to put it in perspective, to get to to they need to sell about hundred and ten or fifteen thousand. <laughs> I
2: was going to say the other half they'll sell with Land Cruisers. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, that?
3: but they don't have a single. Proper four wheel drive or commercial vehicle, which they're very strong in, they don't have a single hybrid one of those in any of their range, yeah. across their entire range. So I'm still trying to work out how they're going to do it. They're, confident, they're very confident they can do it. Um, they'll obviously get more supply of some of the hybrids. I think very much the focus will be hybrids in terms of the, yeah. the bulk of the sales. But um, I'm also convinced that at least one of their commercial vehicles, a Hilux or something, is going to have have to have something done to it to um, to. Tick the hybrid box because that's what's going to get them over the line, I would imagine.
2: Mm. Time has flown, uh, unfortunately, Toby, Toby. And apologies to David, Willie, Robert, Graham, Terry, Robbie, Noel, and John. Oh, we answered your question, John, about ethanol, uh, which we just, look, I'm oh, sorry, we just couldn't get to your calls. But, uh, but uh, next time, Toby, terrific to see you back and um, look forward to next time. Sounds good, thank good, you. Good on you. Toby Hagen in with Motor Talk, another edition of Motor Talk in a couple of
0: weeks' time.